0: It is a pleasure to be with you, and uh, I do think you're in for a treat, uh, not because of anything special about me, uh, but because I know the text that we're going to walk through together. And as I did my preparation, it just blessed me so incredibly much that if you get half of what the Lord gave me when I was preparing it, you're going to be excited. Um, and so one of the things that came up was just the the main uh idea that bubbled up was just this centrally important idea of what what does God want? What is the will of God? Because I know I hear a lot and I say it myself, I just knew what God wanted me to do, I would do it. Now that's kind of a suspect phrase, maybe not, (laughs) depends on what he's asking you, right? You might hesitate for a minute. But in, in general, if we knew the specifics of what he has for us, had for us to do, We certainly try to do it. Um, And scripture doesn't really, he doesn't uh, give us those answers that we want, which is like, should I move to this city? Should I get this job? Should I go out with that person? Those kind of questions are not really there, but he always gives us very clearly what his will is moving forward. What is his will for our lives? What is his will for the world? What does he want to see happen for us, with us, around us? That he's really clear about. And our objective is then to see that long-term vision and begin to like reel it back into our day-to-day experience and make our best choice. That's what we're going to look at today. What does he want from us? It's an important question, especially as this church starts to enter a season of service and and, and new focuses in ministry, it's absolutely essential. Um, I came to the text as a result of going to see a movie. Um, I went with my wife and mother and daughter to see The Overcomer. And that's a movie. My mother came in town. She's a pastor. She said, for when she first got in the, in the house, she said, we've got to take the kids to see this movie. Now, she's my mom. And when she said that, I, was, I did, in the back of my mind, like, oh, I don't know if this is going to be a great movie. But she's not going to hear this, so I can say that. Um, we, we love a lot of the same movies, but i got to confess I don't always have the highest expectations for a Christian movie. Um, that's what this is, Overcomers, a, a Christian film. And look, they're inspirational. I've enjoyed them. They keep getting better and better, which is great. Uh, but they're not always like the same as cinema, right? So we went and we, we did and we enjoyed the film. And it, the, the occasion, though, was wonderful because I was with these three women for the first time at a movie together, Um, and uh, just the four of us. My daughter's 16, but she's only been in our life for about three years. Uh, She came to us through the uh, foster care system, and uh, it was a byproduct of my wife getting a sense of what God wanted us to do, which was adopt teenagers, right, and me going, I didn't really pick up on that one. That sounds way, way, way too difficult. And unless God gives me like a postcard that says, you must adopt teenagers. I think the message is not going to be clear enough for me. We didn't, we haven't had kids our uh, the biological way didn't adopt. Otherwise it was our jumping into the deep end of the pool version. And three years ago, uh, three teenager siblings moved into our lives and changed our lives. And uh, that was such has uh, been such a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, but in the movie, the, the the young woman who's about my daughter's age, has obstacles to overcome, and she does begin to develop a faith. And she's instructed, "Hey, you ought to read the first couple chapters of Ephesians, because it explains who you are in Christ now that you profess this faith." A beautiful letter. Uh, written by Paul to the churches in Ephesus, where he is basically telling them, this is what it means to be uh, in Christ. This is what what God declares you to be, beautifully loved children of God. And then the second half of the letter is like, and then this is what you ought to do because you are that. And our text is gonna come from the second half of the letter and what you ought to do because you are these things. So if you have your Bibles, or I think it's in your bulletin as well, you can turn to uh, Ephesians, the fifth chapter. And I'm going to start with the 15th verse, and we're going to go through about 21 there, through, yeah, through 21. And it begins with, look carefully how then you walk, not as unwise, uh, but as wise. So I began saying we're going to go over what the will of God is. And he says, I mean, it's intimated in this passage, but earlier in the text, it is to unite all things under Christ. That's what the will of God, that's what he wants, that's what he's doing, and because he's God, that's exactly what he's gonna do. Eventually, everything is gonna be united under Christ. That's not our current situation, right? There's things that are clearly antagonistic to Christ. And things that are may seem like they're fairly well aligned. But that's what he wants. And so because he's God and He's going to bring all things under Christ, we should be living, what we ought to do is live, is is gather everything, all aspects of our life under Christ. And this verse begins to give us three things we're gonna look at that identify the ways we bring. All aspects of our life under Christ, which means under His authority, which is a good thing. Now, sometimes when I hear authority, I think it's gonna be somebody telling me something to do that I don't wanna do. Maybe that's the remnants of my immaturity. (laughs) But if it's Christ telling you something to do and His authority, it's always gonna be something good. It's always gonna be something that blesses you. And eventually, everything that happens everywhere is gonna be under his authority. That's where this whole train goes. And it's a blessed place of things happening as they should happen under Christ and his authority. So he's at first admonishing us to look carefully how you walk. So the first aspect that we bring under Christ is just our day-to-day walk. How do we live our life? And this whole text that comes before it is outlining all the different things that should be characteristic of our life. And we can look at it and basically say, honestly, are we, are we, are we there or not? Are we, are we living our lives according to the way uh, God wants to, uh, wants us to live? And so we could make a list of things we ought to do. Unfortunately, like that doesn't really work very well in my experience or in the experience of other people I know. It makes intuitive sense. Here's all the things I ought to do. I'll just do them. But there's a $73 billion a year diet industry that would say people don't, and it grows every year, people don't always do what they think they ought to do. Turns out we're not very good at telling ourselves what to do at all. But man, we make lists. I make lists. Today I ought to do this, I ought to do, and and look. I can can knock off some of them, some of the time, but it's not the way that God is inviting us to live. And it's not the way that the apostle is talking about how do you live under Christ. The key is in the earlier part of the letter where things that God declares that we are. We live a lot more out of who we believe we are than what we think we ought to do. That's how we make our choices. Who do we think we really are are we a dearly loved child of God are we someone who is righteous and someone who is who is uh, full of dignity and emanating God's image around us we make different choices when we think that way Um, if we think I'm the person that put 20 things on my to-do list and did four we start to go down a different road my experience and I think that's what the apostle is saying throughout the letter And then he's accentuating it here by saying, living as wise. Wisdom is one of those things, uh, wisdom asks questions. Wisdom is uh, born out of reverence for God. It's not something that is like, has all the answers. Um, It is something that is searching for answers, searching for a place of understanding. And so that's what God invites us to do. And uh, invites us to do that by really embracing these identity statements. There's so many of them in Ephesians. A couple I'll point out is one is adopted. I can tell you my perception of what, it, what adoption means has changed a lot because now I have these young people in my life. We're about to adopt them. They moved into our lot, house and didn't want anything to do with adoption. Things have changed a lot in three years and so is my perception of what my relationship to God is because I didn't want God for a lot of my life. I didn't want to be adopted by God. So, uh, you know, why why would he still want to adopt me? (laughs) But that's what he does. His invitation is to everyone, to all of you tonight, and even if you've kind of said yes, God, I would love to be adopted by you. You can always press deeper in that and enjoy that status more. And if you're wondering, like, I don't even understand what that means, it basically means um, yes to, I would love to be uh, taken care of as a child of the one who has created and sustained and, and sustains the world. There's no better offer uh, uh, to anyone than to become a child of God. And it's a free offer. Secured for us by Christ, we access it by faith and just say, yes, I want to be an adopted son or daughter of God. And the next thing he says, and it says many, but one of the things he says about, uh, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And um, that is a tremendous, tremendous blessing. Not that uh, these obligations, again, something we ought to do. It's something we uh, we get to do, to use the skills that we have to bless others. So there are many things that we are told that we are and that we can share with others. I've been really delighted to hear about the way that Summit uh, Church is beginning to kind of uh, draw perspective and focus on the ministry that y'all are doing. So the... The foster and adoptive parent support is a way that the good works are being sent out from this church. I know, as an adoptive, well, I don't know, I'm right in between, but the foster adoptive um, label fits. My wife and I didn't always ask for as much help as we needed, and it was extraordinarily difficult. And the systems that we were trying to navigate were extraordinarily difficult. And the reasons that our children were in care in the first place were extraordinarily difficult. We've stayed in contact with the birth family, and which I think is the right thing to do, but it's very complicated, very exhausting. And so the support services that you're sending out are exactly what's needed to be able to navigate and be able to keep your head on straight while your world gets turned upside down. And so I commend you for that. It's a wonderful thing. And it's this way of of leading people to bring their uh, world and life under uh, under Christ because of very uh, obviously biblical connections to taking care of children bringing them into families and that's exactly what you're doing and so as we as we keep pressing on with looking at this uh, this first part of this text is you know being able to see ourselves in the midst of this um, God movement to draw everything under Christ, there's no greater uh, joy than that. And there's, there's something that is like asked of us. Is it's like to, be, to look at our lives, to be wise about it, and to let others uh, can help us along the way. This is all kind of embedded in this first um, part of this text. And what I wish we'd have done that we didn't do was ask for that help. That's a part of aligning my life with Christ that I'm working on and um, a part of something we all need to do. I, um, or just ask questions is a simple way of understanding that. So I have a, my wife, like almost every other human being, um, Loves back rubs. And uh, we've been together for about 25 years. I don't always like giving back rubs. And so um, that doesn't sound great, but you know, um, sometimes you're tired. and what what? But I realized what I've been doing, what I have been doing for some years, was kind of begrudgingly doing it. So being like this, being uncomfortable, sort of giving one of these numbers, and... Very unpleasant for everybody. And, um, and the, it was actually just a couple weeks ago, I said to myself, like, why, why am I making myself miserable? So I said to her, she asked, and I said, hey, uh, yeah, could we just both get comfortable here? She's like, sure. <laughs> As if, that. <laughs> why is that a question? And so we kind of rearranged, and, like, it went, it went Perfectly. Right? It was really nice for both of us. But I'm talking about like 10 years of like this, <laughs> when like all I had to do was ask a question. And, and so aligning our lives, you know, like I'm saying that because God is going to unite everything under Christ, aligning our day-to-day walk is as simple as that often. Just asking some questions about how are we getting along in this moment and uh can we make each other more, yeah, you know, like serve each other better by simply adjusting. So sometimes there's mundane things. Sometimes there's big problems. And those big problems lead into this next verse. Uh, verse 16, which are making the best use of our time because the days are evil. Now, when you uh, start looking at words like evil, people get weird, just to be honest, right? We do, because we're like, we hear evil and we think Oh, it's about the, the worst person ever. The Bible doesn't talk about evil like that. The Bible talks about evil, uh, like it says, the days are evil. It means we're living in a time in history, in redemptive history, where things are not, have, have not been fully brought under Christ. Things are not working the way they were designed to work. Um, there are certainly evil Evil deeds that people do, but we're not wise to go around and go, that's an evil person, that's the good person, that's the evil person, that, that's not reliable. Um, there are evil things happening in the world, and the, the sad reality that it's really hard for us to contend with is often we're connected to it, or worse yet, complicit in it. Not to the point that all those wonderful things that Paul says about us and our position before God get erased, but it's the reality of our interconnected world, right? Evil is sort of in the air in everything that happens in human interaction. The systems that you try to navigate um, in our government is not an evil person pulling knobs, making everything horrible for and miserable for everybody. It's that we are all people, all trying to do stuff, some with bad intent, some with good, and kind of monkeying up the works. And so that's the condition we find ourselves in. And so when I uh, was in seminary, I was at the opportunity to, to take a look at the city beautiful, uh, the great Orlando area, and begin to... Um, try to figure out uh, how do we best serve the most vulnerable in our city. Uh, local, a local philanthropist has w- been giving money for decades and was just kind of curious, you know, is it making a difference? What should we be doing here that, we're doing in, that they're doing in other cities that we're not doing? And so we set about to learn about the issues, the needs that were in the city, and the things that uh, we should be doing to make it better. And so for three years, we looked at over 3,800 nonprofits in our city um, and categorized them and traveled all over the country and learned about different ways to serve. And the common factor of all these sort of efforts to serve and all the things, all the reasons that we do ministry is that there's some um, negative consequence of the evil, the ambient uh, evil, the results of the, the fall, the sin that still kind of entangles so easily in all of those issues. All of them had that. Of course they did. And so our job was to begin to articulate best we could. What are those particular issues here in great Orlando? And then how do you, how do you make it better? And so we made some recommendations after all this study about city, the city. I can tell you that during that process and the, the 10 years since, I really have fallen in love with Orlando. It's like this, uh, we're like this adolescent city with all the attendant kind of like uh, miscues and enthusiasm that go together, right? We, we have our fastest growing demographic is under 25. We try things. There's a lot, of real, a lot of great energy. And then we really kind of mess up, you know, like, a, like I did when I was young. So that's, that's Orlando. But it's a really exciting place to be, and we have a lot of challenges, but we have a lot of evidence that people work together to solve them. And so the, the recommendations that we came up with were that we uh, focus on neighborhoods that was what the evidence was showing us, that other parts of the country, they would focus on neighborhoods and, and they would see these different kinds of changes than when they try to focus on like a whole city. Focus on the assets of the people that lived in the neighborhood, not just the things they lacked. To uh, uh, focus on uh, like a holistic picture. So multiple things at one time, not just say education or housing, but all of it. And so we looked at safety, education, income, housing as these four essential ingredients of a healthy community. And then finally, it was collaboration. Collaboration where people are actually working together to make a, a more positive impact. Those were the features of what it meant to serve the city well. But again, we're in this context doing that where things are not as they should be, right? And so we began to identify these neighborhoods, we identified over hundred distressed neighborhoods, and I began to work in those communities. And that was a kind of a new line of work for me. My family's been doing uh, ministry for 80 uh, some years in West Virginia, and I grew up in a ministry context, but I hadn't worked in like an urban neighborhood. I hadn't worked in communities that were predominantly African-American. I'm not, in case you're wondering. Um, and. Um, but that, and that, that, that's okay to laugh at. Um, and as soon as you start like, going down the, the, the race stuff, you know, people are like, oh, this is going to be horrible. Um, and uh, that's exactly what we don't want. And, um, but I started to learn that like, I really knew next to nothing about the African-American experience. And I wasn't going to learn it. I could read books. I could do stuff. But I began to develop friendships with people. And over these last 10 years, I can tell you I've learned a lot. And I, I can tell, and you probably know too, that what we hear um, in our civil discourse about the racial issue is not great. We're not, there's not good conversations right now at all. Talking past each other, yelling at people. Um, a lot of white people just like, I don't wanna hear it. Get over it. A lot of people, well, you haven't heard yet. So that's why I keep saying it. There's just this firing of opinions. And that's And, and what I would hope to think that if, Christians are aligning themselves under Christ. They can be participants in those conversations and be a source of peace and like, uh, and, and let's listen more. Let's not shut down. Let's, let, let's un- figure out what we've got to learn. But that's not always what we do. I have a friend who's uh, he's a local leader, African-American, ministry leader, business leader. This is a story from just this past month. He was telling me he went over to visit his mother, um, Parked out in front of her house. She wasn't home yet, so he was waiting in the car. He didn't have a keys, and he's not a kid anymore, so he's waiting for his mother. Police officer comes by and asks him what he's doing there. He explains. He's waiting for his mother. He got, police officer asks him to get out of the car. Right? Eventually, he's up against the car, getting frisked, uh, and my friend is not a rabble-rouser. He's just... Uh, in front of a a police officer who's just kind of very suspicious of him. His mom comes home. They kind of basically convince the police officer that he was mistaken. They go about their way. So I say to him, you know, man, I'm sorry to hear that. How, How often does that kind of thing happen? He's like, well, it doesn't happen all the time, but it probably happens a whole lot more than you think. That has never happened to me, ever. The only time I've been on the suspicious side of a police officer, I was being suspicious. <laughs> I was doing something wrong. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Now, fortunately, that's been over 30 years ago. It's not recent, but like, I can remember it really clearly. Yeah, okay. Um, not the experience. I don't. Ha- I haven't had the same experience with someone who's not, doesn't look like me. Doesn't mean that they've been like just this golden road in front of me that I just kind of walk down and skip down and people throw money at me. No one thinks that. No one thinks that. But it does mean that there's been certain things, certain advantages I've had, even though i not always taken them, that haven't been afforded to everybody else. And that's a, that can be a hard pill to swallow. And so our job in like working through and navigating through the evil that we see is not to just seize up, but to press in and learn about that. Learn about what we can do. Because I can tell you, this: the racial issue is not like, um, well, uh, I don't think poorly of someone who uh, doesn't look like me. or some, If I'm white, uh, Hispanic, or black, I don't look down on them, so I can't be uh, racist. It's not that. We're talking uh, bigger things than that. Economics. We're talking systems. We're talking... Um, about lack of change. So when I was born, 1965, so if you're doing the math, 53. Um, that's what happens when you say a date. People, people start doing the math. And um, the gap between net worth of black families and white families was seven times difference. Last year, seven times difference. You would think, since the Civil Rights Act was passed in 1965, there would be some movement there some, that's, that's what we're starting to talk about. And that's something that you have to kind of press into and learn about, and maybe you know a lot, maybe you experienced a lot of that, but it's not like a simple answer, and we all get into that conversation from different, at different uh, levels and have different expectations. But I would encourage you to do that because these, the, the work that you're doing, especially in the high schools and the schools that you're working in, they are um, you know, Title I schools, there's a lot of people who are non-white there, there are a lot of impoverished families there. And if you're not experienced of working across difference, even if it's economic, even if it's uh, um, age, if you, don't, if you don't have that kind of experience, you can go into those serving environments and, 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 and not be the one who's listening, the one who has all the answers. You know, wisdom asks questions. Foolishness has all the answers. So we come in with wisdom because God wants wisdom from us because that's what aligns us to uh, under Christ, according to His will, because it's built on reverence for God Himself. And um, I want to I want to walk through these last uh, few verses because they're going to point up. Uh, point to our third uh, point. So the first two is about that we're aligning our day-to-day walk under Christ. The second one is where the evil we encounter, um, we are bringing under Christ. Which is what that means is that we're we're seeing at it from a different perspective. Not like I got to be right. How does this fit in to what God is doing and what He intends? Which isn't people being. Frisk for no reason out in front of their house. It is people having equitable economic opportunities. It is all these things. And the last part, it's about the relationships. And those are a byproduct of being filled with the Spirit. So he says the, the words about don't be drunk on wine, which is this is not really the point, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he gives us several examples of what that looks like. He says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He is not uh, giving that list as a way to say we walk around and sing songs to everybody all the time, although that would be lovely. Um, It's just not exactly what he's saying. He's, He's using the analogy of music, and I think he's doing that because of what music does and means to us. It's a special vehicle that really engages our whole body. There's a quote I love from a composer that says, when we sing or create music, we use all parts of the brain, left, right, front, and back. All these parts collaborate. That is very unique. Music is complex because it uses every part of a person's being. in the relationships that we find ourselves in, that's what God is asking of us, to be all in. Our good and bad, our hopes and dreams, our frustrations, we're all in in our relationships. And he's also asking us then, of course, to be thankful. Be grateful for uh, everything, to God the, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. One thing, that, one thing I'm pretty sure we've done right with the kids is right from the beginning, we said we're gonna have meals together. And we've, we've done so the majority of the nights at the table, uh, family table for the last three years. And we start with a gratitude list. And I can tell you that, that at the beginning, the kids would be kind of perfunctory and wouldn't really go along with it, but eventually that became this source of a lot of joy. Like I you know, can hear them coming down the hall. I'm grateful for what happened in school today. I'm grateful for all my friends before they come to the table. Not always, but like that's really—it's really that sweet music to hear as a parent, right? And the things that we want to hear. But giving thanks and taking time for things, and then he he concludes with this: submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. this is kind of the 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 big win. That uh, that this. List, which is essentially another list of the fruit of the Spirit. When we're filled with the Spirit, these things happen. We are willing to, uh, to be kind of mutually uh, submissive to someone for this godly purpose. I, w- I think this is the ideal form of a relationship. And uh, it has these three components. There's mutuality, some kind of sharing, and there's this godly purpose. And I think this is what, as much as anything, aligns us under Christ. When we start seeing our relationships as opportunities to pursue some godly endeavor, but doing it locking arms with someone else. That's what we want. That's what uh, we are looking for in our life, I believe. And uh, in, the, in Scripture, there's used many, there are many phrases used to describe this. Paul uses like partnership in the gospel, um, do whatever leads to peace and mutual edification, where there's evidence of three things. You know, the, a person, another person, or a group, another group, and God. That's the ideal, the norm for our relationships. I would call that dignified interdependence, where we're valuing the other person, the dignity that they possess, and we're working together for some good aim. The aims that you all have uh, set forth to walk alongside these schools who have, especially colonial high school, there's a lot of issues in the school and around the neighborhood. Building these kind of relationships that are mutually supportive, that have a godly purpose in there is gonna be transformational. Um, In the neighborhoods that we've worked in over the last 10 years, We've seen that kind of change when we're working with uh, fellow believers and when we're not. But if there's not a mutual respect and understanding about what we're doing together, what the goal is, and how do we treat each other, it really has difficulty. And as followers of Christ that are uniting every aspect of their life under him, we're the ones that can yield or bend in those relationships so that we can be Um, supportive and kind of make them work because we know where this thing is going. We know that the end game is God bringing everything under Christ's authority. And in the meantime, we don't have to get these small little wins because the big win is ours. The big win is secured for us as dearly beloved children of God. Um, I'll, I'll conclude with this. I mentioned that movie at the beginning, Overcomer. And I also... You know, confess my lack of enthusiasm, uh, you'd say, for Christian film. We walked out of that movie, and uh, my daughter said, "I think that's the best movie I've ever seen." Suddenly, my perception of that movie changed completely because I hadn't been seeing it from her perspective. The protagonist in the movie was her age. And wonderful things happen in her life, and being able to share that moment was this idea of like, there's a even though she's my daughter, uh, you know, they, to kind of submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Where her idea of the movie was just better than mine, and I didn't have to think myself through it to say, well, I'm going to tell her I loved it, but really, mm. but it actually was pretty good, and. Uh, but my snobby cinema guy just kind of went somewhere because a person I loved and cared about was saying something about that movie that was very true. And that's how we're to live our lives. When someone that we know and that we're we're working to get to know or to serve or to help, um, that we're able to celebrate things that happen joyously from their perspective, if we don't understand and if we're close enough to them and aligned well enough under Christ, all of our little, uh, little, the little things that haunt us about the way things ought to be won't cloud the reality of who we are, which is this dearly loved child of God that can celebrate successes with anybody we're around. Um, anybody you're trying to help it gives us more of an opportunity to listen to them And to be wise and ask those questions and to be able to learn from that and to be able to go down roads that you might not go down before because you don't have all the answers. You come equipped with questions and you come equipped with your heavenly father to guide you. That gives you what you need to serve anywhere, anyone with dignity and respect and to make more differences than you can imagine. So I just I just want to thank you. I mean, this church is a very special place to me. Um, it, you know, when we started, uh, I started the institute. Um, the dreams were big, and the summit was one of the first places that uh, just said, "Yeah, let's see if we can help." So I wrote a curriculum, and that was that was piloted here, and different things that we've done over the years. It's just been this wonderful. Um, wonderful relationships. So I just want to thank uh, the church, brothers and sisters, uh, from the depths of my heart for that, but just speak with gratitude around this efforts that you all are making currently. I think and I feel and I, I believe that those efforts serving in those, with the vulnerable children and in these schools is going to just make Orlando all the better place. So I'd encourage you to get involved and if in any way we or, or the Polis Institute uh, can help, uh, we'd love to do that. So just thank you so much uh, for listening, and thank you for coming out today. Um, God bless you. Let me pray. God, I um, I thank you so much for um, giving us an opportunity to. To think about your word and to think about you um, we um, yeah we, we, we feel the presence of uh, the reality that things are not as they should be sometimes we feel evil itself and uh, we're certainly affected by it we don't always know which way to turn we don't know how always how to act or react when Someone says something that makes us uncomfortable and um, we put in uh, different circumstances. So I just ask Lord God that you would uh, touch our hearts, make us uh, great listeners, align our walk under Christ with grateful expectation of the full manifestation of that to come. We thank you that you will, And your wants and desires are clearly laid out for us. And help us to see that big plan in light of our smaller plans. So that we can make choices that glorify you and edify your body and the church. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.